Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. Um, also joined by my co-host, John Paulson. Um, this is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty pro- catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. So following the Damn the Torpedoes review episode with John, um, a few people asked if we'd be going back to look at the first two records, um, and we decided that that would be a fun thing to do. So sit back, relax, and enjoy two diehard Tom Petty fans talking about 1976's debut record, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So thanks again for joining me, John. How are things out in uh, California? Uh, pretty good. We're getting some decent weather right now, and uh, it, it's uh, it's an interesting time of year because we have a drought in California as well, so we're on water restrictions. Um, but other than that, everything's good. <laughs> Water restrictions means like no sprinklers, no, can you shower? <laughs> uh, you can shower. You just don't want to use your, uh, your sprinklers. I, we have drip irrigation in our, in our house now, but, uh, they can only blast their, uh, the sprinklers like one time a week now. Yeah. Yeah. We get that occasionally here, but not so the last couple of years, we've had some pretty intense rain. And of course we get so much snow that it tends to, Make sure that we've got water for at least the first two or three months of spring and summer. So, Okay, so Tom Petty and the Heartbreak is the debut album. Um, I'll give you some vital statistics first, folks. Um, it was released on November 9th, 1976. Uh, it was recorded on Shelter Records and distributed by ABC Records. And we'll be ended up talking about more about that later uh, on the second album. Um, the producer was Denny Cordell, who originally intended this, obviously, to be a solo project for Tom um, after Denny had basically dropped Mud Crutch as a project from the label. Um, and, of course, the, the production was a little bit scattered and, and, um, and, and fractured. Uh, it was recorded at Shelter Studios, uh, with Luna being recorded at the Church Studio in Tulsa. Um, it comes in at a tight 30 minutes and 35 seconds. The singles from the album were Breakdown, which did not chart when it was initially released. Uh, Anything That's Rock and Roll, which hit at number 36 in the UK. And then American Girl hit number 40 in the UK. After John Scott's intervention, Breakdown was re-released and then it reached number 40 on the Billboard charts. And of course, the rest is history. Um, Number 55 uh, was the album position on the Billboard charts eventually. And it reached number 24 in the UK, peaking at number 18 in New Zealand, of all places. So let's dig into the songs. So uh, we talked offline a little bit, John and I, about whether we're going to go through song by song or whether we're going to sort of hone in on specific songs. And I think we're going to do the latter. Um, so I wanted to talk about Stranger Than The Night. That was one of the first ones we sort of figured we'd talk about, John. So give me your thoughts. Yeah, this is a, it's, it's a sonically interesting and it is sort of, the, the thing that struck me about it was the lyrics. Uh, if you go back and look at the lyrics, it's about a, um, two men having a fight one is black one is white um and it it's really pretty raw for especially for petty at that point in his career i mean this is on his first album and he's kind of writing about violence and um so to me it's a little bit of a turnoff lyrically but i can see the appeal of the the way it's structured and, the, and musically how it sounds because it is a kind of a like, i like the guitar a lot um but it's not one that i would go seek out to listen to yeah, and it's. I found that too, and I think I even commented on on the album on on the episode that it really is quite abrasive. Like it's a shocking lyric, especially because I think it's one of the very few songs that has a you know a quote unquote curse word in it. Um, but I think that you sort of need that in there because because of the subject matter. And I know that we talked about on the Torpedoes episode. I can't remember. Maybe it was Century City. You'd mentioned too that um, you you don't really dig those sort of aggressive 
lyrics or the, the, those stories, which I find kind of curious. Is that something that you avoid generally in music or is it just a Tom Petty thing that you, you find it a little bit more jarring? I think with Petty, um, I'm not used to him being real negative um, right. or kind of writing songs. I'm not saying, I, mean, I think Century City, I think he was writing it a little bit out of despising Century City. I don't know if hate's the right word. He said, yeah. he said he hated Century City or hated those days going to talk to the lawyers and stuff. But um, this one is like, this is not, I wouldn't, if this was song was a little more interesting, a um, little catchier, I probably wouldn't feel exactly the same way about it. But I probably, right. you know, you're talking about looking at the album critically, looking at the songs critically. And why don't I listen to this album more? And this is like one of the reasons is it just doesn't, some of these, some of these album tracks don't really grab me in a positive manner. Well, I think the other thing about it too is, you know, looking back again, it, it's not really a heartbreaker song, you know, because it was Jeff Gerard on guitar, Emery Gordy on bass, Jim Gordon on drums. So that's still in that phase where it was Cordell's idea to have Tom be, you know, a solo artist with different session musicians on different tracks. So I think, again, I think it, it sounds and feels different to most of the rest of what's on that album and certainly what came after. And I wonder that, you know, if sort of, if Jimmy Iovine or Rick Rubin had got their hands on something like that, I, I bet it would have sounded a hell of a lot different. I think it would have been produced completely differently. Yeah. I think he's trying to make a comment about racism. Um, and there, I saw, um, you know, a story about it or an article about the article and it kind of implied that it was a, you know, a slave, a former slave confronting his former master, which I didn't really get the first listen, but I guess you could see it that way. Yeah. Uh, they really didn't make, it didn't seem like it was clear. So that just made it, to me, it seemed like it was just sort of racial violence and you didn't know why these two people were, uh, you know, fighting. So yeah. I think part of that was like, it was a little confused by the lyrics and it's just not something I'm typically used to with, with Tom Petty, especially his early stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a lot of that on this album. It's a, it's a collection of songs rather than being a cohesive album as we get into torpedoes and our promises. But um, so anything that's rock and roll, I know that um, <clears throat> it caused a little bit of a stir when I rated this a five on the on the nation. And I think looking back, I think that is too low. Um, and I only went with a five for this one because musically it's the least interesting song on the album, I would say, because it's just a really straight rock and roll song. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's just so simple that, and I love it. Like, and it's, it's on my playlist and I listen to it lots, but I just thought, well, quality wise, when you stack it up against some of those other songs, I don't see it in the lyrics. Again, fairly straightforward and anything that's rock and roll, it's a bit of a sort of a, not quite, it's not really cock rock, but it's that kind of, you know, very simplistic idea. So that's where I could, but I think really I should have probably put it as seven. I think a seven at minimum would be what it'd been. So give me your thoughts. Where did I go wrong? Yeah, this, this is one that, as I listened to this album several times to try to, you know, prepare for the podcast that this is, and this is part of the process that I like about doing this podcast with you is that I'm discovering some songs that I like off these albums that I didn't, you know, maybe the first few times I listened to them, it didn't really jump out at me, but yeah. I knew anything was that rock that's rock and roll was one of his singles or one of their singles from this era. And, you know, I went back and looked at the running down the dream section for, you know, from the first album, them talking about it. And one of the performances they did, live performances on the running down the dream dock was anything that's rock and roll. And I think the live performance is even a little bit better than the, the studio performance. And it made me like the song more. And I, I kind of understood maybe why they had a reputation for being a little bit of a punk band, because it does have a little punk energy to it. And this is one where I, I could picture the Ramones covering this like sped up a little bit and it would really work on one of their albums. So um, I just think it's a good, pretty good rock song and one of the better songs on the album. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, going back to I've been trying to sort of be consciously when I'm reviewing the songs, reviewing the way that they're recorded on the albums. Because again, I mean, they, they changed and improved so many of their songs live, just in very subtle ways. Um, so I've, I've tried not to do that, but I, I think, and I always try and comment on live performances when I when I hear good ones. But yeah, again, I mean, and, and certainly live, when you see it live, I'm sure you've seen it live multiple times. It, it, it's going to be one that gets people off their seat too, right? Yeah, it's up-tempo and it's yeah. a good little jam. And I, I can see why they played it on that first tour. They did it on, it was a live performance on a television show and yeah. they picked it. And they also picked it as a single. So I think they knew that it was decent or at least decent to good. And uh, they have a way of elevating their their studio tracks and, you know, and then the live shows they do, they can make them even better. Totally agree. Okay, well, let's get into the the, the, the top end. Um, what about Breakdown? Number, number Track number two on the album. <laughs> Yeah, track number two, uh, just a 10 out of 10 song. Um, got a great groove to it. Uh, the descending guitar riff is uh, really appealing. Uh, I like the story behind it where they played for, you know, played the, the track for eight or nine minutes in the studio and then sort of listened back to it and picked out the good parts and that descending uh, guitar riff that uh, I believe Mike plays, yeah. uh, you know, became the crux of the song. And they uh, apparently... Tom was in the studio at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and they, he called the band back up to come back and record, and that's how hungry they were. They all came in at, like, 2.30 in the morning to record the, the uh, official version of the song. Um, it's also one that my son played in his school of rock bands a couple of times, and it's oh, great nice. to hear him. I, when I when he pulls out his electric guitar, he's still playing. He's going to be playing in high school, which is cool, and uh, he pulls out, and I ask for breakdown, and he can still play it pretty perfectly, which is which is really cool. So it's one of my favorites. Um, it's obviously one of his greatest hits. Um, you know, it was their first single. You said it didn't chart, which was interesting, but there was just not a lot of momentum behind the album at that time. And then once uh, there was a little bit of momentum, it did end up charting, and it's obviously one of the, the favorites. And it wasn't one that he would always play in concert that was usually on the set list, but uh, there were some tours where they didn't they didn't play it. Yeah, and it was, it was the song that John Scott used to sort of, okay, no, you guys, you need to play this band. You need to play this band. And again, you think about, you know, oh, they're a punk band and the, the leather jacket and all that kind of stuff gives the wrong image. But as soon as you hear that second track, that that should blow that preconception away completely because this is a, I, I said in the episode, it's, it's a slowed down blues shuffle. There's nothing punk. It's, it's barely even a rock song, right, really, until you get into the live versions where they sort of, they jazz it up a bit. But it's such a slow, moody swing to it that, yeah, it's just, it's just absolutely fantastic. It blew me away. I remember listening to it the first time. Like That's one of the few songs that I can distinctly remember listening to of Tom's for the first time and thinking, wow, that's that's just a different level of musicianship. It's off the first album. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, and I would uh, add that the uh, the live version on Pack Up the Plantation is really good. I might have mentioned this on the other podcast, but uh, the, the fans take the first uh, verse and yeah. he just lets them do it. And uh, the other thing I like about Tom is that when they – when fans would do that sort of thing, some bands would just go to the second verse to get the song over with, but he started over and um, sang the whole song. So I'm glad he didn't cheat the audience out, but that's a really, and then there's that whole uh, segue or the towards the end where he starts talking and kind of freaking out and saying, he's going to handle it like a man. And that whole, (laughs) that whole thing's great. Cause there's a, there's a bunch of those on, on, you know, on YouTube, different performances of breakdown where he sort of freaks out towards the end. And it's always something a little bit different. Yeah, it's a jam song, right? So that's, and I think that, you know, 
when we talk eventually about Dog on the Run, maybe I think that's maybe why that song doesn't stay in the set list because you've got Breakdown that does that. That's that's, that's your nine minute jam where you can really sort of have fun and, and uh, experiment, right? So, okay, so American Girl, the last track. You leave this one to, to track ten. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you listen to this and it's just a classic, you know, five star, ten out of ten. Uh, rock song uh you know it's on all sorts of fourth of july playlists uh it just is a perfect song like i wouldn't change a single thing about it and that's that's the thing that's so perplexing about it is that they put this 10th uh, on their debut album and i don't know what i would love to hear what the thinking was behind that and how much thought was actually put into it because they did release it as a single so they knew they had something or maybe it was when they started playing it live and the fans responded to it and they decided to, you know, release, release it as a single. But um, I, I just don't know how you put that song last on the, on the debut album when the whole idea is to, is to break out and to, you know, to get people to listen to the types of songs you're able to write. And that's, you know, you know, as you're writing it, that this is, has to be one of your best songs on the album, right? You would think so, right? And I mean, especially that middle eight, that bridge in this song, it's still one of my favorites in not just any Tom Petty song, but any song. It just it slows right down and you get that really cool, again, it's that shuffle groove kind of thing going and then it breaks back out and it's such a big break back into the into that strumming pattern. It's just glorious, right? It's really uplifting. And so, yeah, to, to leave it at the 10th is just, that's just insane. Yeah, uh, and this one where I never get sick of hearing it, it comes on, you, you listen to it. I've not ever got, ever skipped this song when it came on the radio or one of my playlists or anything. It's just one you always listen to. Yeah, agreed. It's, it's, and I, I think either we talked about this or I talked about this with someone else. Like, I don't really listen to Bohemian Rhapsody much anymore by Queen, and I don't really listen to Stay With Heaven very much by Zep, but just because I know those songs so well, they're they're just in there. But American Girl is in that same sort of territory, and I think it's one that some people might think is overplayed on rock radio. But same thing, if it comes on, it's just such a fun, up song that, of course, I'm going to listen to it. And it's not a long song either, right? It's what, 320, 330 something? So gets in, it gets out, does its job. Yeah, and that's one, uh, they would close just about every show with it, and they would do an extended version, typically, you know, the last minute of the show is just them going crazy on the guitar and, yeah. um, you know, before kind of wrapping it up. But they would they would definitely extend that one. I, that was another interesting thing about this album is that everything is super, super short. And there's some weird fade outs that we're not going to talk about all these songs, but there's some, yeah. you know, just as the song is sort of getting going and you're expecting another verse, they're, they're fading out. And I don't think they knew how necessarily how to end a song at this point in their career. They were just sort of fading out to, to move on yeah. to the next thing. Well, I think too, though, that that's possibly comes a little bit down to Denny as well, right? So that's that idea that you've got this breakdown could have been, even the, the album cut could have been five minutes, but you've got to produce there saying, well, no, if you want hits on the radio, you've got to bring that back into sort of that three minute, three and a half minute range, which was typical at the time, right? So, Yeah, and uh, that, I think he was just trying to get them through the album. That's why it was like, yeah. 30, like 30 minutes, you know, it's, it's so short that he just wanted to get in and get out. Yeah, for sure. Well, studio time's expensive too, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fooled Again, which I, again, I think is my, probably my favorite quote unquote deep cut from the album. Um, and sort of how he vocally sort of tortures those vowels. Like he just really leans into bending those vowels. Um, and the drums are really mixed high and flat. Uh, and the, again, the thing that really does it for me on this one is that break into the chorus. It's that looks like I'm a fool and that really just punches that word in, right? And then again, that sort of that high organ note. It's just, it's so cool. Sonically, I think it's one of, one of the best on the album. Yeah, and it's one of his best, best vocal performances. And I, I like, I do like it when he's angry about love. 
yeah. uh, and freaking out about love or being dumped because it just seems like that's a common theme in his uh, his rejection in his early, especially his early stuff. I think first yeah. three or four albums. Uh, this, I would say, I'll probably put this fourth. And uh, you know, the other one that I like that's sort of a mid tempo jam is Wild One Forever. Yeah, uh, I think those two like. Uh, he as you look i started looking back through his career and you, there's just a lot of these mid-tempo songs that were never really big hits um but they're so good and yeah. he changes things up in the middle of them and they're just i don't know that he ever wanted to re- release a lot of these as, tr- as singles you know but later on you know it's good to be king uh room at the top or examples but early on like the wild one forever um uh, fooled again insider uh surrender these are not fast paced songs or upbeat songs, but they're so good. And yeah. this is where I really get into my happy place when it comes to, you know, working with these playlists with, with Tom Petty is that you can switch it up between these uh, mid tempos, these up tempo, and then he's got the acoustic ballads or just slower ballads that are so good as well. So uh, I think this is the one area where a lot of people don't know these deep cuts uh, that just sort of know him superficially uh, would probably really get into some of this stuff. Yeah, for sure. And you talked there about um, Surrender. And of course, we talked about that on the Torpedoes um, episode. And that was recorded, you know, several times in, in, in different forms. And they just obviously couldn't get it to a point where they where they loved it. Um, but the 76 version that was recorded during these sessions is a lot more raw. Like it's a lot, the guitars just feel a lot heavier. But again, it's such a good song that it, I listen to that and I stack it up against some of the what I would call weaker tracks for you know, it's only probably a couple maybe off this album. I think that I'm surprised that that one didn't make it rather than yeah, say yeah. rocking around with you, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, I went back and listened to the 76 version uh, and then again to the uh, version off of Dan, the torpedoes sessions, the de- yeah. deluxe version. And I do prefer the, the second version, the, the Dan, the torpedoes version. Uh, I think the vocals are better. But you you hit the nail on the head that the vocals in that '76 version are really raw. So if you like that, that's a cool version to sort of add to this playlist. If you wanted to add something, uh, swap out a song or something. But yeah, um, I just think that they did a really good job. I think they I don't know if they overdubbed his vocals or there's backing vocals on that uh, "Damn the Torpedoes" version, but it it just appealed to me a lot more. And they do sound like more polished. Yeah, as a band, um, certainly in, by that time in their third album. Yeah, and again, Iovine really, you know, that's when you get a really hands-on producer who's invested in the sound of the album as a whole rather than just, let's get it out the door, which again, we talked about with Denny Cordell. That's probably the case of just, we just need to finish this record. We need to get this out, right? So and I think that that shows, and it's good to have one song that was recorded at two different times so that you can do that side-by-side comparison, right? Yeah, and there's a live version too, which is really good. Uh, I don't, I think it's on the live anthology. Um, I may be mistaken, but... Um, Tom introduces the song as the song that they wrote back in 76 or a long time ago, something like that. And we never, he goes, we never recorded it. And I think it was Stan that piped up and said, uh, we never recorded it well. (laughs) And then they kind of go into the song. Um, I think they just never got a version that they were happy enough with to to put it on one of these albums, which is kind of amazing because especially that Dan the Torpedoes version, I think is definitely worth it, worthy. Yeah, it's that perfectionism, right? I mean, it's that sort of thing where you, for the layperson, you think, well, this is brilliant. Like, why wouldn't you put, well, oh, I don't think it's quite up there. Like, holy moly. And I suppose really when you've got the quality of songs that you write consistently, you can be a little bit more selective, a little bit picky. 
But let's get into being producer for a day. Um, I wanted to run this by you. I've sort of put together the way that I would sequence this album, which is completely different to the way it was sequenced. And that happens less often as time goes on, because obviously Tom started to pay really close attention to that and got very good at it. So lead with American Girl. I, I think, like we, we talked about this already, I think that just has to be your opening track because it just showcases the, the brilliance of the band and the songwriting. Number two, I'd go in with Breakdown. Leave that at number two because it gives you a different flavour. It gives you a different look at, you know, the breadth of songwriting. I'd go Mystery Man for three, which sort of keeps that vibe from Breakdown more or less. Wild One Forever and anything that's rock and roll. So we kind of keep those two, I think, in the same places. Side two, I'd open with Luna because, again, it's super interesting. I think it gives you that, oh, this is different from everything else on the album so far. I'd go to Hometown Blues then to pick the pace back up. Put Stranger in the Night in at uh, number eight. Fooled again at nine, and then I'd go with Surrender. I'd finish with that 76 version of Surrender. That's, that would be my sort of 10, and I would leave um, Rockin' Around With You, which might be sacrilege to some people, but it's my it's one of my least... I don't dislike this song, but it's definitely one of my least favourite Tom Petty songs. So that's my that's my track order. Yeah, and I'll, uh, I just quickly put one together this morning, uh, but I liked, I liked your... I would like to listen to this in sequence and see what how it sounds. Uh, just one note on Rocking Around With You is that they very interestingly opened the all of their 40th anniversary shows with it. And I was like, you know, looking at Setless ahead of the time, I was like, why are they? And then I figured, <laughs> I realized, oh, that's their opening song on their opening album. Um, and then you mentioned that they would close with American Girl, which is the last song in their opening album. So the bookends there are very, uh, very cool. I don't know that I would get rid of Rocking Around With You. I, I think I'd want to put, uh, if I had the option, I'd put Surrender on Damn the Torpedoes. Okay. Um, so we don't have a lot of B-sides and stuff to work with with this one. And I, you know, I, I realize that the, the OGs out there are probably thinking this is sacrilege, but yeah. these, these albums, these especially these early albums are not as precious to me as they are to some other Tom Petty fans that were there at those early shows and really got into them early. So just, just let us, you know, we're, we're, we're doing our best over here. This is a fun <laughs> process for us, but so I, I think if I were producing, uh, if I were Denny, I would say you need this first side of this album to be, the best five songs you can put forth or at yeah. least four with something interesting. So what I would do is American girl breakdown. I would do the same thing. One and two. I think that right there, if you, if you're a DJ and you're looking for an album to play and this, you listen to American girl, you're going to listen to number two and then you hear breakdown. Now this is a band that you're really trying to pay attention to and you're going to give them some publicity and some airtime. Uh, and then I would put wild one forever third. Um, I think it is a little bit, uh, similar to breakdown in that it's a mid-tempo um yeah. but i think it's it's also such a great vocal performance that uh it would really like oh wow this is a, a you know a third really good song three in a row to start this debut album pay attention to this band then i think anything that that's rock and roll would be a good fourth to pick up the pace again and then to close the side i think luna would be a cool closer because then you can kick you know kick it over to side two and start with like fooled again Okay. And, you know, maybe Mystery Man. I think the issue for me with Mystery Man and Hometown Blues is that they don't sound like they're, to me, part of the sessions that brought us the other eight tracks. So I know that they have the Southern country rock background. Uh, you know, Mud Crutch was very much a country rock band or, you know, Southern rock band. Yeah. And they were sort of trying to transition into this Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So having Mystery Man and Hometown Blues on the same side of the album is a little bit 
sketchy to me. I don't know, but I don't think I'd want to have either one of those on the front side because if you're trying to establish these guys as like right. the premier rockers of the late seventies, getting into the eighties, um, that's those both sort seemed sort of to me like second half second side type track so i would go with fooled again mystery man rocking around with you uh stranger to the night and then and close with hometown blues i don't I, I think that this is one of those albums where there isn't it isn't there isn't a great closer to me um, yeah that's that's perfect i mean maybe luna um but i think i like luna as a closing on, on side one but oh man yeah i mean it's a good point too because it i think the the reason that they do sound some of those tracks do sound so different again is because there's different people playing on them. They're recording with sort of different, and I think they were recording a couple of different studios. I don't think they all were recorded at shelter. You know, Luna was obviously recorded over at church, but I think there was some stuff was recorded at a studio in LA as well. So you get that sort of fractured thing going on. Plus again, the, the idea that this is a Tom Petty album, no, now it's the heartbreakers. So you, you get that transition. Out. And I think it does make for a bit of a disjointed feel overall and this is what I got sort of comments it's gloriously messy right from a cohesion standpoint um but I think that it does do a good job of showcasing there's a bunch of different types of songs that Tom can write he's not you know for a debut album a lot of debut albums they sound very similar because bands sort of like you said I mean they play their their, their top 10 live tracks while there was stuff that they were playing live with Mudcrutch and, and other same songs that they didn't put on this album um but to sort of say well these are all the different types of songs we can play and they are definitely produced even differently, right? I mean, you can the production is different on some of the the drums don't all sound the same, the guitars don't sound the same. It, it's it's just it's kind of all over the place. But I think it's interesting for that. Yeah, and you're. I think it's a it's an album where the the band is trying to find their voice. Uh, Tom is trying to find his songwriting voice, and there's just I think it's a perfect intro because there's moments of absolute brilliance where you. I mean, American Girl Breakdown. You started the album that way. That is just. That would put the, that would have put them on the map. I think I, I don't know how you're you're a DJ in '76 or '77 and you hear American Girl and Breakdown and don't want to play that album or play that band. So totally agree. Uh, yeah. I'm glad that I'm glad it all worked out the way it did. And you know, he his talent superseded a, a slow start, um, but I think the slow start would have been a, a avoidable. Totally agree. Okay, so let's um, talk then about our top three songs. So we did this for the Down the Torpedoes episode and we landed on exactly the same song. So I'm kind of curious to see if we do the same. So I'll let you go first and then I'll tell you what my three are. So, Yeah, I think we'll probably differ on one because I think American Girl and Breakdown are, you know, they have to be on there. And then for me, the third best song is The Wild One Forever. Uh, it's one that even before uh, going back to listen to this album a lot, um, this is one I knew and I always had on my playlist and my deep cuts playlist and my box sets that I'm quote unquote box sets that I make up for Tom. And, uh, that it's just, a, it's such a great, it's such a great track. And I think it's so underrated and I've heard him play it a few times live and it's just amazing. His vocal performance is amazing. So that's the third one yeah. I would put on there. Um, so American girl breakdown and then the wild one forever. When the wild one forever had commented, I think on the night watchman episode from our promises that, cause you know, Hard Promises was really when he started getting heavily into the storytelling side of, of his songwriting. Sort of, but Wild One Forever definitely is, I think, the sort of the intro into that, right? It's got because it's it's definitely got a there's a bit of a narrative there. It's not as it's not as strong as some of the other stuff that he's written, but the narrative is is there, and you kind of get this sense that he's actually really talking about someone here. This isn't just sort of a an abstract idea. This is this really happened, sort of thing. And it turns out that it did, right? 
Yeah, and the first minute of it, just him getting into his vocal is just yeah. incredible. And I, I also just like this, the the song title, like the, the Wild One Comma Forever. I think is just a cool, a yeah. cool a song title, especially for like one of your first songs that you've written, you know, releasing on an album. Super cool. Yeah. So we do differ. So yeah, obviously my top three American Girl Breakdown, as you said, that's just <laughs> absolute no brainer. And there are a few albums where that's the case where we're going to say, well, we know. We know one and two for sure, and I think we're not going to differ too uh, too much. We might get more interesting when we get into things like um, Mojo and Wildflowers and some of those albums because there's so much to choose from. But yeah, I would go American Girl, Breakdown, and then for me, Fooled Again, just because I like I like how different that one is. You know, it, it's it's so again, it's so jarring that it, it, that draws me in, and I like that sort of. The, the subject matter is interesting. And again, it's so different to pretty much anything else he wrote ever in his career, right? So uh, that's my three. So I'll go for those three. So we've differed finally, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, if you put that on, a, on an EP there, that's a good four track uh, summary of this album, I think, and make would, it keep people interested in it. I would say so. I'll do it. Also, I'll do, um, I'll put our top three playlist and I will do it. I'll do an EP. I'll do a T-Path EP. that will be a good one. Four tracks. All right. Um, any final thoughts on the debut album? Yeah, I mean, I think as I've gone back, this is not a precious album to me. This was always a an album, their debut, that had two amazing songs that I've loved for years and years and years. And then uh, The Wild One Forever, I think, and Fooled Again, I think, I, you know, permeated my playlist and stuff for a, a dozen or so years. Yeah. But going back and listening to it, there are some, and also just like looking at the live performances of some of these songs, like anything that's rock and roll, um, remembering rocking around with you you know and at the 40th anniversary tour so this this album has definitely like rate you know raised the stakes a little bit for me or it's kind of gone up in my uh i don't want to say rankings but i like it a little bit more and it's something that i might turn on once in a while now as opposed to something that i would sort of skip over and and, and pick something else yeah for sure and for me it was sort of i talked about it on the very first episode i ever did the my introduction to tom petty when i went back and started listening to the catalog when i threw this record on I think the variety and the lack of cohesion actually drew me in. That was one of those things that was like, oh, well, this this is interesting. I wonder how we got from there to Full Moon Fever. You know what I mean? Like it's that thing of, well, that's a very different artist and it's a very different sound. So I want to, now that now I'm curious now, I want to see this evolution. So I think that it did its job in sort of piquing my interest, right? So Yeah, I think just one other thing is that I think when you look at the books and the, uh, the various documentaries and stuff, and I think a lot of the artists are like this. Once they put out an album, they don't spend a lot of time thinking about it or analyzing it. It's just kind of done because they're moving. They're, they got the pressure of putting out their next album. And um, I think he like looks back at some of these. He doesn't look back necessarily at the album as a whole. He looks back at certain tracks and he has memories about certain tracks and things that worked for him and things he kind of regrets. But he doesn't spend a lot of time talking or thinking about it. Somebody has to prompt him to do that, I think. And uh, it's interesting to hear some of his when you know you ask him about a, sort of an obscure track from his first album that he's got some memory of it yeah. and how it all happened. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and speaking to Paul, he said that you know that he, he would Tom was such a professional when he was even when he was writing when Paul was writing that book that Tom would want well what what songs are we talking about today and he would go back and he would sort of dig out any sort of memories he could or see if there was any notes anywhere lying around or any sort of old lyric sheets and he would he would go back and do something oh yeah no I remember that now and that was this person played this and we had this was going on and so that's super cool right I mean again to to be able to do that for a catalog as wide as Tom Petty's it's a big ask you know <laughs> that's the coolest thing about that book to me is I love hearing about how these songs were written and it's sort of memories of those songs I mean it's great to hear the story of the artist and we yeah. got that in the 
uh, in the documentary and stuff, but, you know, having him, having a paragraph about his memories about every song is really, really cool. Absolutely. And it, again, for, for this, for my podcast, it's, if that book doesn't exist, my job is a lot harder, right? So, okay, we'll wrap. Um, Tom Penny and the Heartbreak is here, um, and I'm not going to do a long outro for you folks. So that's all for this episode. And if you are enjoying these album wraps, come talk to John and me on social media. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at the Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And you can find John on Twitter at 444 underscore John. And that's number four, F-O-R number four underscore John. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you want to come and abuse us for wrecking the track listing or you think we've done a bad job of that, come talk to us because we, we want to have that conversation. And we'll see you next time to talk about uh, the second album. You're going to get it.